are recording, returning, and uh, long time no see, Dr. Stephen Hatfield on Monday, May 1st, 2023 at 5.44 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, Dr. Hatfield has been on here a couple times before. Uh, we've talked about your book, which is Over Your Shoulder, Three Seconds Till Midnight, and that link is in the description. Uh, you've also come on here with um, Dr. Ken Alabeck. And yeah. uh, I think you've come on here a couple other times. And uh, I was just telling you before we started recording, you just popped into my head the other day. I was meditating and just right there. And I was like, then we shoot Dr. Hatfield an email. And I got to you and you're like, yeah, I'm down. I was like, tomorrow. And you're like, yeah, it's great. Let's do it. So uh, yeah. Dr. Hatfield, as I rudely use my phone and post the live link, could you please introduce yourself to all the new listeners? Hi, um, I'm Dr. Steve Hatfield. I'm a uh, physician medical specialist in a biomedical science. Um, worked on the Ebola virus for several years. Um, spent all of 2020, well, from February 3rd, 2020, till January uh, 6th or 7th in the White House, uh, working under Peter Navarro on um, the problems of the uh, national pandemic. Uh, there we daily fought with Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Stephen Hahn, uh, to follow the correct national pandemic plan, which was early drug treatment, not vaccines. And it was clear that you could not vaccinate the nation out of a virus like SARS-CoV-2. I call it the COVID-19 virus. It would be impossible. The virus was undergoing clade mutations uh, every several weeks. By the time you could even possibly get the necessary percentage of the population immunized, the thing would have escaped the vaccine. These are RNA viruses. And this is what they do. They, they're constantly mutating. This is a survival advantage for them. So even faking it would be possible, uh, even with conventional vaccines, to, to get yourself out of this is uh, a fool's errand. And then the experimental messenger RNA, they're not vaccines, they're pseudo vaccines. It's a biological product. And never before tried in humans. Um, the drug companies were so hungry that, well, it, it's just turned into a big mess. Some very, a few months ago, well, at the, right at the end of 2020, some very, very top-notch data scientists. One is an editor at the British Medical Journal ones at Stanford, um, went over the uh, clinical trial data that Pfizer wanted to hide for 70 years mm -hmm. and then had to give it up and is reluctantly giving it up. And their findings are that in the clinical trials that were done for Pfizer and Moderna, that it was riskier to suffer a serious adverse vaccine event, a life-changing vaccine, harmful event uh, with disability 
it's much riskier to take the vaccine than it was to be unvaccinated and catch COVID-19. Yeah. There was no um, health to risk benefit, health to harm. They did nothing. And in fact, we now know if you're fully vaccinated and fully boosted, that uh, it's easier for you to catch the virus. You're going to have a more severe pattern of disease. And now we're seeing all these other side effects. And some of these are absolutely frightening. And um, we don't know what's happened to the babies. They started vaccinating five-month-olds to five-year-olds and then children and then young adults. And the incidence of myocarditis, you know, inflammation of the heart that we're seeing. Uh, these things never should have been given to human beings. So we've had to shove down our throat with mandates. And I'm sorry, but idiots on two separate COVID-19 White House task forces. Um, the, the current one, Dr. Ja, it doesn't even think hydroxychloroquine works at all. Now, nobody's that stupid. There's almost 500 papers written now showing overwhelming efficacy if you take the drug early on, like with any drug. Mm-hmm. If you get a paper cut and you let it get septic and you don't do anything about it, and it happens to be like a particularly nasty staph infection, you stand a good chance of losing your finger. Yeah. Whereas if you popped a few antibiotics, kept on it for a couple of days, end of story, nothing happens. It's the same as a fire in your kitchen. You've got a grease fire throwing up. You don't phone the fire department and sit back no. until the house burns down. You shut off the thing, throw something on it, try to smother. If you've got a fire extinguisher, you put a fire extinguisher on the grease fire and the drama's over. For COVID-19, that fire extinguisher was hydroxychloroquine and a drug called ivermectin. The evidence for this is overwhelming now. It's kind of, to interrupt you, I have my windows open because it's a beautiful day. Yeah. As you're talking about the fire, a fire truck is now blaring by. They must have been listening. Sorry, go on though. Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. It's serendipity. It is. Somebody, they're a fan. Thank you for breaking my concentration because <laughs> so, they're difficult to do. Oh, sorry about that. No, it's, <laughs> sometimes I just hear it just wailing by and I'm like, the fact no, that I, we were just talking about fires, but ivermectin hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. If you, if I've you, got to teach you. Because this is a very, I mean, this is so sad. Yeah. And where I was at, you know, we weren't ready for this. And. In the first book, we tried, that got published two months before all this happened. And it was fairly prophetic what was going to happen. And um, we were trying desperately to to get some people to move on this stuff. And the pandemic preparedness that we did have, uh, Obama got rid of it. He diffused it out. And then... um, Okay, well, the guys recovered this and that. It's still a little bit functional. And then Mr. Bolton came in 
with his seersucker suit and mustache and got rid of the last remnants. You know, it's, you've worked as part of a team before. Whenever you have these really good teams, it's like pure magic. You mm -hmm. can't wait to get into work. And these are, these are hard things to find these days where everybody is so focused on the same thing and you're working on the same problems together. And you know, when you've got a good team, it's just this tremendous feeling that you can do anything. Yeah. Give us the next problem. Yeah. 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 And uh, Mr. Bolton broke all that up. We had a rear admiral that for the first time ever was the go-to guy for pandemics. And they fired him. And they fired his boss. Um, it was nonsensical. And nobody, where you put the effort into in a pandemic are your local communities. If, a, if you get a, like a killer, there's one coming, make no mistake. This, this, was, this was mild. COVID-19 had a very mild death rate. And we screwed it up so badly on two president, three, over three presidential administrations, Obama, President Trump, and Biden, that it's not the presidential administration. It's the ingrained federal scientists that have been screwing this up. And it's the same people. It's, it, the, Dr. Fauci, when you bring new clueless people in like Dr. Burks that act like they're experts, but they didn't know what they were doing. They're bureaucrats. Their experiences was with a chronic pandemic, HIV AIDS. Well, that takes months to years to kill you. Uh, COVID-19 infection. You've got nine days and you're in real trouble if you've got comorbidities and all the risk factors. You'll be on a ventilator at 10 days and in septic shock very quickly. So the idea was to treat very early. And the FDA under Janet Woodcock, um, under her drug safety division, fought tooth and nail and lied uh, to get hydroxychloroquine blocked. I mean, you can armchair quarterback. We were there. We watched this whole thing from front row seats, myself and the colleagues I was with, the team I was with. And uh, I mean, we tried everything, literally everything. And then the FDA commissioner, Stephen Hahn, has the audacity to complain that we were putting pressure on him. Oh, by the way, he, he's taken up a nice cushy job at the venture capital firm that funded the Moderna vaccine. That's a funny coincidence. Isn't that odd? Life, life's a hoot. Yeah, I'm seeing that I'm interested to see where Janet Woodcock goes. Yeah. Yeah. 
you think Gottlieb at Pfizer or Moderna or something? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, I've sat across the table from Dr. Woodcock, and she didn't know Pete Navarro had his own personal medical advisor that was also pandemic consultant and a virologist, and uh, that explains the look on her face during the meeting. Hmm. Uh, she was. She looked a little worried. She should have been. This was. I refused to believe it was intentional for months, and um, it just didn't make sense to me. I couldn't believe that the drug companies were that powerful. And then you start later on getting stories from the senior editor at the New England Journal of Medicine. And the Lancet, mm-hmm. Richard Horton, that no, they were being pressured to publish these papers that never would have made it through a normal peer review. And all it took was four papers for the biased mainstream media to to just scare the death out of doctors and patients to take these drugs. They're so safe, we let pregnant women take hydroxychloroquine. Now, what drug do we let a pregnant woman take? Virtually none. Nursing mothers can take it. We allow very few drugs to be uh, taken that way. Um, It's had 50, 55 year use. Never any cardiac adverse lethal cardiac events. Now suddenly they're manufactured. Well, no, it was because they were giving it to late patients that were already circling the drain. Mm-hmm. They were in the death spiral. When you give them hydroxychloroquine, they're going to die anyway. And aren't they giving any, drug, any drug you give them, once you get into that super inflammatory region, um, it's not going to work. Give them a glass of orange juice and it'll look like the orange juice killed them. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what happened. And then ignore all, there never was any early use study. This was all done by private doctors. Zev Zelenko up in New York was keeping records. Um, Pete McCullough, Harvey Reich was looking at all the data coming in and out. Thank God for these people. And uh, that gave everybody courage enough, Pete Navarro, myself, to really fight this thing. And we went up against two giant agencies, the CDC and the FDA. And um, we tried everything we said. We tried to make sure that it was referenced and it just got ignored. And I'm on the I'm on the phone with We'd set up a little thing because we had no PPE, personal protective equipment. We were running out of surgical masks, much less the fancy N95 ones. And uh, so Peter had organized, Pete Navarro had organized with some of the Fortune 500 companies that use masks and goggles and this type of thing to donate their supplies to the hospitals. And of course, New York, Brother Bill de Blasio, Brother Bill, had done very little preparation. 
and uh, they wanted the federal government to do everything for them. That wasn't in the pandemic plan. Uh, President Trump's good nature, he did everything he could. But that was never in the pandemic plan. And New York just sucked all the excess personal protective gear in from everywhere else, New York City. I'm talking millions of items. And uh, our small little office were running this. So we needed intelligence. It's no good to know this hospital is run out two days ago. You know, you, you need to know how close. So I was phoning the emergency, uh, emergency rooms and I was phoning the ICU units. And you make friends with these nurses. You know them after a while. Mm -hmm. This is like a couple times a week, some of them that were having problems. And you hear the anguish and, you know, the tears sometimes. And here it was, they're on their last mask. And in through the door comes these big boxes full of masks and stuff shipped directly from wonderful companies that participated in this. Really, it was fantastic to see the patriotism of most of these companies, not all. But uh, that really helped bridge the gap until uh, as a nation, we could get our act together. So it was very, very exciting, very exciting, if not sad time to be, um, I mean, for 24 seven, 365, nobody, nobody got a break. So, and then to fail and have these vaccines introduced. I am. Um, September 2020, I'd had enough. So I was writing letters, open letters to the American public, trying to tell them what was going on. And I couldn't find any platforms. The Washington Post, the New York Times, all these places had already besmirched the early use drug treatment. Now they're not going to turn around and say, oh, we were wrong. Yeah. And of course, the data was overwhelming. And... Um, you know, you get a feeling for what these poor nurses are going through. And a number, of, at least a thousand of them died from incorrect. The nurses? Yeah. We're not sure. It's inexcusable that we don't know how many nurses died of COVID-19 during the, during the two years, two and a half years of pandemic. But, you know, the only way this has ended has nothing to do with the vaccines. It's the fact the virus has picked up so many mutations now. You know, it's like when your car starts to rust and eventually the tires are going to fall off, right? Yeah. So the virus has lost a lot of its virulence. Yeah. And I think it's past the point where it can back mutate and pick that up. Yeah. Well, the strains we're seeing now, they might replicate a lot better in humans, but they've lost some of the sequences that are made them killers when it first came out. So it's been quite a trip. It's like drop. I'm on the, I'm on the fifth floor. It's like dropping a ball, right? Every subsequent bounce is going to be smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Exactly. So it may may reproduce. It may jump up a notch, but then its yeah. actual lethality goes down. So it's yeah. you know it grades into a the head go head cold from eighties. Yeah, they kind of just become symbiotic with our species. Yeah. Yeah. To go back to what you said about the intentionality of it and how you, you couldn't believe that these companies were this powerful. I think we've all probably gone through something like that, maybe not on that scale, but where you initially have a hunch and that hunch is so paradigm shifting, your brain kind of blocks it out. Yeah, you can't, you can't. That's well, not it. When this came out, I refused to believe it had any laboratory origin. You know, it's too start one yeah. in 2003. That uh, that came out of a uh, wet market. Mm-hmm. I've been to Asia many times. I've been in those wet markets. And um, they're supposed to be illegal now after SARS-1 in 2003, <laughs> but they're still there. And when the cops start coming, they walk really slow. So the guys just grab Time for, yeah. You know, the chicken and rock. <laughs> head for the hills <laughs> but it's in an Asian culture they like their meals fresh sure. and grandma or grandpa or somebody or the maid somebody goes down to the wet market every morning and picks out the food that they're going to eat that day and they whack it there and they bring it home and prepare it and, uh, there's no leftovers it's got to be good Oh, it's 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 great food. It's so healthy. Yeah, unless it's carrying deadly viruses. Well, that 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 little asterisk. <laughs> so this thing, the SARS one, broke out in a wet market, and they had Chinese horseshoe bats. I've eaten a lot of weird things, but I I've not eaten a horseshoe bat. Okay. Okay. And uh, or the fruit bats, they're pretty cute. They're they're you know big round eyes and yeah. So um, there were some civet cats, which are a mongoose-type animal, and um, they're kind of cute. And they were, everybody's crammed together, and of course the viruses are trafficking between the different animals. And the civet cats were an amplifying host, and the virus figured out how to live in a different species of mammal. Because, I mean, Animals have different body temperatures and this type of thing. So once it jumps species from one mammal into another, it's ready to jump into humans. And normally the first species jumps into humans, the virus still hasn't quite fully adapted. So you get a horrendous disease in the unfortunate recipient, but it's not effectively transmitted person to person. But after a certain number of infections, the virus learns and it becomes well adapted to transmit to person to person. We didn't see this in COVID-19. That virus appeared already perfectly adapted to humans. In fact, it was so adapted, it was difficult to go back and infect bats with it. Wow. Yeah. So that's a... That's that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fingerprint. That's a ding dong moment. That's like when you find an astroturfed movement where some politician comes out of nowhere and it's like this guy is for the American people. You're like, what? 
can I find anything on him from more than three months ago? No, he came out of a black hole, and it's like that's that's an asset. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that's an intelligence asset. <laughs> exactly, where, where'd that come from? Yeah. So same thing with this. So we've got some really smart people in this country. There's a Doctor Bloom that has he's got. I think he's got a small team, but it's very small, and he's single-handedly overturned every argument that the Chinese have come up with concerning um, the origins of the virus. They deleted a bunch of their computer files that had sequences, COVID-19 sequences, going back November, before November. And uh, he recovered some of these from the cloud. And um, these viruses aren't the ones that are in the wet market. Mm. somebody from the wet market came in and um, infected the people in the wet market. This thing was was circulating well before. So where else are you going to have a species jump? Well, you're not. So if you tally up the evidence for a laboratory origin of COVID-19, you got about 15 items here. There's a good book out. You can get it free online. And uh, the CCP is at war with America. Uh, you type that in. It's Fred Gaffney's group that did it. Frank Gaffney, he's a good patriot. And uh, you could go there. You can download it off the Internet and read it. And it's got all the evidence. Circumstantial, yes. But that's all you're going to get at this stage. Mm-hmm. And it's very powerful circumstantial evidence. And there are about 15 items in there that support a lab origin. On this side, the data that's supporting a uh, natural origin, the square root of nothing, zero. So, and then you find out, oh, the NIH was funding some of this stuff. Oh, the State Department didn't do due diligence. There's a couple divisions on foreign technology transfer. And um, these guys that run this weren't doing their job. And they allowed some pretty technology that should have been close old uh, to go to China. Some, techniques and procedures. So they really didn't want to have a laboratory origin. And then they start intentionally putting pressure. Uh, These are rungs down away from the president. Um, Dr. Renfield's a pretty straight shooter. And I would be sorely surprised if he knew that his CDC lower down was intentionally working with Facebook and Twitter to deplatform scientists that were desperately trying to speak out. We're on the wrong path with these vaccines. We've got to go back to the hydroxychloroquine. It's safe. Look at all this data. And um, nobody would go back and admit, yeah, we were wrong. It just got worse and worse. And then the coercion. Let's make your life as difficult as possible until you're vaccinated. 
Oh, and then let's mandate it. Oh, and then let's order it in the military. Now, we don't really know how many. Look, there's no the myocarditis, this inflammation of the heart that's has reached the news, the mainstream news. There's no such thing as a mild myocarditis. No. You're scarring your heart. It's like a mild aneurysm. <laughs> yeah, it's like being half dead. Yeah. You're you're interfering with the electrical conduction of your heart. And we don't know the long term uh, problems with this. But when you're having this type of damage at a young age, you know, in uh, early teens, you're using up all re your reserve you're going to need later uh, for a normal lifespan. And that's just that's just the um, that's just the start of it. We're now seeing there's been enough adults autopsy now with definitive vaccine associated death. And the brain picture is not pretty. Of the, bra uh, the brain? Yeah. You're getting abnormal amyloid. Amyloid is a yeah, general term. Yeah, you can call it prions or prions. I call them prions. And uh, like mad cow disease. Yeah or Crutzfeld-Jacobs disease, or um, there's about five of these that involve one protein. Another disease is the Parkinson's spectrum of diseases. And um, again, it's a different protein. It's an amyloid protein. It's a different protein that's involved, but it's the same thing. Beta amyloid is the abnormal protein deposited in the brain and Alzheimer's. So all these affect higher brain functions. And it's a it's a common finding in autopsies. And we can stain it and see, oh, this is the spike protein from the COVID virus. It's not beta amyloid or any of these other amyloid proteins. It's it's from the spike protein itself because it has sequences in there that make it irreversibly fold. So this is a whole can of worms that's been open. And we've just affected a generation of kids. We don't know if it's eventually going to be cleared by the body or if it's going to cause more abnormal formation. We don't know. These vaccines never should have been given to humans. So this is the uh, this is what we've had to go through over the last couple of years. And it's literally there's a handful of people fighting this. Everyone's had their careers affected. Um, Pete McCulloch lost his medical license. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, some other doctors, too. We've got Dr. Littell, where uh, I'm at at the moment. They took his license. Like, the board did. The specialty board. Uh, he got it back. 
uh, some good guys got together and wrote a letter and cited all the references and this and that and this and that. And Dr. Latella is right. They gave him his license back. But it still damages things. Mm -hmm. um, this can never happen again. And there's some things we can do to, to prevent this. One of these bringing back the Office of Technology Assessment in Congress. The um, Newt Gingrich got rid of this because they were waffling on and trying to block some of the things he wanted to do because it didn't make proper sense. Um, superconducting, super colliders, mm -hmm. things. There's a, you can go to the um, archives and see all of the projects. But the OTP, it was a dedicated grid. It's about 100 people. And different specialties from engineering to medicine, vaccine. And when a problem came up in technology, uh, any uh, anyone on the Hill could ask for an OTA assessment. And some of these assessments took several years to do. And they would give briefings and keep everybody updated. But it was an educational method for members of Congress that, you know, anything to do with hard science or technology, uh, a lot of elected officials are over their head. And they would bring in both sides of the story and argue it out and write a report, pros, cons, this is why. And presented in an understandable fashion to the committee or individual other of the committee that ordered this investigation. So they had accurate data and they could block the drug companies. Uh, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. We're not going along with this hydrochloric. Here's all the papers that say hydroxychloroquine is highly effective, drops mortality in some studies 71%. Nothing works that well in medicine, but it's repeatable. Here's what happened when uh, Duravi, the big slum in India, in Bombay, Mumbai, that was zombie apocalypse waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. And they nipped that thing in the bud in a couple weeks. But they had a team of 2,500 doctors that just went out into the slums starting at 8 a.m. wearing all their gear, equatorial temperatures, knocking on everybody's door, checking for symptoms. They had a pulse oximeter on the end of a stick and they put their finger on it. And they didn't need testing. There was no time for testing. But a good physician, if you have a case, what we call a case definition, you can diagnose COVID-19. And if you're wrong, the hydroxychloroquine they gave to the person and the whole family, it's safe. So if you do made a mistake, they just got 11 tablets for free. Yeah. But they take over five days and it's over. Yeah. So they brought it under control. And out of all those doctors, I think 30, they were on prophylactic. They were taking it in case they were exposed.
And I think 30 of them got like really mild cases. Nobody went to hospital. And they had a long-standing sort of immunity for years. Antibodies have nothing to do with that, by the way. It's, uh, there's two, type, two components to your immune system. One is the wrecking crew. They come in with specialized cells called macrophages. Come in, and once they're primed to look for a part of the virus, if it sees any cell with that protein on its surface, it just comes over and sledgehammers that cell to death. I mean, it just it wipes it out, right? Scorched earth. Sort of like about a week later, the snipers come in. Yeah. So it's like Delta Force. They just shoot everybody in the room, sort it out later. <laughs> and then you've got the snipers up here on the rooftops and towers. They're just scanning. They see a virus and they take it out specifically. Gotcha. They clear it out, the loose viral particles. The macrophage, and the macrophages don't care. They'll damage normal tissue during this process as well. Yeah, carpet bombing. It's uh, it's not just antibodies. Everybody's been focused on antibodies. Uh, no. Your real long-term memory, because when these guys are done shooting everybody in the room, they go back to the lymph nodes and kind of wait. And uh, they they tell the the helper T cells, look, you know, if you see this again, this is what it is, and call us, we'll be back. <laughs> and that's how your immune system works, really simply. Just focusing on the antibody section is a fool's errand. Now we can give you antibodies, which near the end of 2020 they were doing these infusion clinics. You go in and you get a Big shot. The Eli Lilly? The, the triple, yeah. And, um, yeah, they, they'll take everything out. But you've still got your... your uh, it, it, it's not an... Your primary antiviral defense is the cell-mediated immunity. The, the NK cells and the the Delta Force macrophages. That's what they keep you alive long enough for the antibodies to be made. Hmm. Right? Okay. So when you catch a viral infection, there's a race going on between how much damage the virus can do to you before the production factories get killed by the Delta Force macrophages. And then now we've got the more refined snipers taking out the free viral particles. Yeah. That's how it works in a, in a real nutshell. And then everybody like goes home and remembers. Yeah. Yeah. These are why these viruses are always mutating, trying to change into a form that they can escape immunity. Now, normally in a pandemic, we don't lock everybody down at home for weeks and weeks and weeks. You get what's called subclinical infection. See, for every virus out there, <clears throat> and we know this from the old biowarfare days in the 60s and 50s, in fact, post-World War II till uh, the end of the 70s. Um, well, earlier than that, I think it's 71 when we shut it down. Yeah, it was under Nixon. 
We got rid of everything. We don't do that anymore. But they learned that for every different virus that infects man, you have to have a minimal infectious dose. Or otherwise, the Delta Force macrophages are able to sort it out. And the natural killer cells, they're able to sort it out. You have to have a certain minimal dose of infectious virus for the infection to get established. Okay. So how you pick this up, this type of immunity, is that you go out, you mingle, and you're going to work, and you're doing this type of thing. And yeah, there's infected people around, and you know, everybody beats them up till they go home. And you've had a minor exposure, but not enough to establish an infection. And uh, your body responds to that. Wasn't enough to cause an event, but it, it got everything sort of primed and nervous. And then, you know, you stop by for a dinner. Yeah, after work, you have a glass of wine or something, and you get another little exposure, and everything goes haywire, but you don't feel sick. And you do this, and you're you're catching up with these variants that are trying to become gotcha. the dominant strain, the predominant clade. So it's not a big shock when you come out of a, uh, isolation and lockdowns after six months and you're faced with one of these strains that have evolved. Wow, Delta, Delta strain. And now people are dying again and back in the hospital. You see how it works? So lockdowns are the last thing you really want to do. And when we had hydroxychloroquine, the idea was to let life try to go along as normal. Obviously, you're going to ban big meetings and crowded meetings and union meetings. And, you know, you're just asking for trouble like that. You know, indoors in air-conditioned buildings. The, the virus loves stuff like that. It doesn't like humidity. And uh, yeah, okay, you'll get your we'll get you hydroxychloroquine. You won't go to hospital. You're going to be sick as a dog for three or four days, and then you'll be better. That was the plan. And it just got changed into, okay, you, you're... You, Come in for testing. Okay, you've got COVID-19. Go home and wait until you turn blue and then come back in and we'll give you hydroxychloroquine, but it won't work because now you're too far advanced. You're three days away from a ventilator. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you still saw some partial effects in these early hospitalized patients, but you had to treat as soon as the patient hit the emergency room. And... Uh, Dr. O'Neill and the Ford Group in Detroit, group of system of hospitals, they were doing this, and they, they were ending up with like 51% reduction in mortality. Mount Sinai was getting 49% reduction in mortality. Spanish, big study, 61% reduction in mortality. And then the private practice doctors started adding zinc, which inhibits viral replication and uh, a compound that helps the zinc be absorbed and vitamin D. You know, we don't play outside anymore. You know, you work indoors all the time. You don't go out. You're, you're short of vitamin D and it's very important for your immune system. 
So supplementing this. And this cocktail of stuff was starting to reach 80% reduction in mortality. But you've got to take it within the first sort of seven days, eight days at the latest. And it would have worked. And they destroyed it for experimental vaccines that common sense would tell you it's not going to work. And now they're trying to get out of it. Fauci, well, Dr. Burks, well, I never thought the vaccines would work. What? And Fauci, well, I never ordered any lockdowns. You got him on the news. I got a video of him saying, oh, yes, well, when we saw it was spreading through the communities, I informed the president that we need to lock down. And now he's got nothing to do with it. Harping on the vaccine. Now, he, Jeff Tannenberger is like a brilliant scientist. Okay, and he used to be at the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology. And uh, he and his team went through tissue slides from World War I of soldiers that died from the 1918 pandemic, mm -hmm. which, by the way, was the third lethalist, lethalist is that a word? Third I, most lethal, yeah, lethal pandemic. Yeah, we just coined it. Yeah, I, I just did a Biden then. Yeah, it's, it's a, <laughs> well, actually, it was a George Bush. Yeah, that's smart. Don't, yeah. don't, don't misunderstand. Was it? Don't. Yeah, don't misunderestimate me. Don't. Yeah, whatever it was. I don't know, but it was the third most lethal pandemic in human history. It was nineteen eighteen influenza H one N one strain, and the H one N ones we get now. That's that's what's left over after it's so heavily mutated over the last hundred years that um, there's not a lot of back mutations that it's doing to more lethal. So he was one of the guys that reconstructed this in the lab, pulling out uh, genetic material from these tissue slides, a hundred years old, and sequencing it and slowly splicing it together and, you know, getting the genes. And they rec recreated it in the lab. That's a brilliant scientist and a brilliant scientific team. Mm -hmm. So they wrote a paper. Okay, the vaccines didn't work. What did we learn? And, of course, I guess they're at uh, National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases now. Fauci's their boss. Fauci stuck his name on the paper just recently. So, oh, yeah, no, I wasn't for the. So this is the type of nonsense that all Americans have had to put up with over two presidential administrations. It's not Biden's fault. wasn't Trump's fault. President Trump's fault. Sure. It was the same people entrenched in federal health agencies. And the one name that springs up time and time again, going back to Obama, is... Dr. Anthony Fauci. He almost killed two nurses during the Ebola thing. He's on TV saying, oh, yes, and a single pair of gloves is enough, you know, to nurse an Ebola patient. We don't even do that with hepatitis patients Jeez. or HIV patients. It's always double glove. That's basic, basic fluid precautions. And he's saying a single pair. Well, those nurses, two of them got infected from... Uh, I think it was Thomas Duncan, the patient. 
And um, if they they almost died, okay? There were some treatments out by that time, but they stood a good chance, you know, it wouldn't have been, an Ebola virus, it only takes a handful of viral particles from one to 10 to uh, infect you. Yeah. Its relative became one of the Soviet Union's premier biological weapons, Marburg, Marburg. disease. Yeah. They made metric tons of this stuff and loaded it into ICBMs and uh, refrigerated nose cones and the whole thing. Star Wars scared them. Yeah. That was the thing. Yeah. I always and, bring that uh, up. I always bring up yeah. Ken Albeck's biohazard when I talk oh, yeah. about it. I'm like, we were putting e- or they were putting Ebola in the nose cones of ICBMs. And people just go, yeah. I'm like, I don't think you've Harper. really like locked that out in your mind yeah. what it is. Yeah. Little <laughs> cluster bomb units spread it all over. Doomsday. So, I mean, this is like the Omega Man stuff. It, it's, this is like, this is sci fi villains. Yeah. But it's real. Smallpox. They wanted smallpox to be gone. They contributed a lot of the vaccine for the smallpox eradication program while they grew up some of the more lethal smallpox strains and loaded it onto missiles. Yeah, they well, they wanted everyone to be vaccinated against it so that no one would need the vaccine so that everyone would be hyper susceptible to a breakout. Well, so eventually they'd stop vaccinating. Yeah. That was the goal. Because the vaccines carried a mortality. Make yeah. no mistake. Sure. And you couldn't give it to the immunocompromised. So I, I don't know quite what our HIV population is at the moment. But you couldn't give them a smallpox vaccine. You know, you... It depended on how many CD4 and CD8 cells they had and blah, blah, blah. But um, there was a general consensus that, you know, you could kill them if you gave them the smallpox vaccine. So, yeah, every good thing always has an evil side to it. Have you read, um, I'd love to know your thoughts on it, uh, Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Bregan's uh, COVID-19 Global Predators, We Are the Prey. Yeah, I don't get involved in that stuff. Oh, no, it's just I, I read that around January or February. Just yeah, I did. Gotcha. Um, I stayed away from that. Gotcha. Um, so what we were talking about before the podcast, you know, obviously your book, Three Seconds Till Midnight, which is e- eerily prophetic. I do love the trains. I also just like trains, so that might just be because I'm a, you know, I'm still a train. I am. Um, well, the, the train survived into the next. That was designed. Sorry, I'm interrupting your no, question. No, 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 I'm just, no. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I've done 1,210 episodes. There is part of me that <laughs> I just go into, I just go into autopilot where I just start going. Blah, 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 and get some good discussions. Yeah, thank you. Those trains were designed for what I call the low resource High density, yeah, poor communities, mm-hmm. our inner cities, yeah. Now our inner cities evolved through the rail system. Oh yeah, yeah that's why I love it in your book. Is it's so brilliant? It's just that's what They're everything's bad. grown out of over the last two hundred years. Now, Highland Park is what do you want to call it? 
the old word is ghetto. Yeah, slum. Yeah, slum. Very high density. There's a lot of comorbidities because the people smoke and have other unhealthy habits. Um, diet, mm-hmm. overweight, mm-hmm. greasy foods. You know all the things we know across the board. Just not ideal. They, oh no, it's it's all they, it's all the fun shit. Your arteries up. It's there's nothing better than being shit faced with a cigarette and a Big Mac. I'm with you, but it will kill you. Tucky fried. Oh god, the sandwich. Oh no, you go or not even crispy sandwich. Oh, Popeyes. Oh my the god, Popeyes that's, crispy chicken pickles. sandwich. There's fist fights over that. Yeah, I'm okay with dying ten years earlier if I can have one of those every month. Uh, That'll get you Chick Fil A sauce. Talk to me, goose. Yeah, it'll it'll, it'll <laughs> kill you, dude. I worked at I worked at my best friend's dad had a door frame warehouse in uh, the outskirts of Atlanta. Yeah, it's kind of like the ghetto, and I worked there summer 2008. I was 18. There's this guy there, Lester. Who yeah, would, I mean, we'd be in this warehouse covered in like sawdust and shit. But he would get these grease like once a week. He'd go in there and he'd cook this stuff. Oh my god! I mean, sex is great, but this guy's fried chicken yeah. would melt your face off. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it funny how we remember these guys? Yeah. You know, we had a guy named Jesse Irvin, yeah. <laughs> and my dad knew him. <laughs> you know, I'd get assigned to work every summer. Um, we had to have a summer job. That was mandatory. Oh, you yeah, to, no. You're not getting out of it. No. But these are adult jobs with adult pay. And I was on the street street crew in my little hometown, about 18,000 people. And by God, you did a man's day's work. You got a man's day's pay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the street superintendent was our next door neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you worked your ass off or dad got told. Yeah. Well, this is my best friend's dad, so there's no getting away from it. There's no gear. No. I'm going to hang out with I'm going to hang out with Joe that weekend. I can't look at Ed, Mr. Ed and be like, hey, Ed, and like, well, fuck, where are you Monday? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. My, that summer. But no, that's true, because, I mean, this was what? So summer 2008 and I've worked there summer 2006, too. So. Yeah. 2006 you're 16 minimum wage was like what six bucks no we made 10 12 an hour i mean you're 16 years old and you're clearing 450 dollars a week you're right. you you feel rich you are for that age group absolutely yeah no you're rolling it. job yeah you're rolling so you it. take your shirt off you're out there and you oh, know yeah. it was great Hi, Cindy. oh yeah no it was, it was great learn <laughs> learn how to cat call mexican women with the black guys like, Tommy, say something. I'm like, what do I say? They say, see Poppy. Like, all right. And you know, they'd scream at you. But that. Yeah. That, but yeah. You learned how to work. That too. And you learned very early on and how to do a good job. Yeah. How to do a thorough job. And also, if you didn't do a good job, you your father you. taught you. Yeah. And I never wanted to work for him. Yeah. Because, I mean, he would come by. You had chores, like you had to pull, do, yeah. and he'd come by and check it out. And, you know, you better be right. Well, and you get the habit of doing it. Well, when people, ask me how, when people ask me how I've done 1,200 episodes in a little over three years, I don't have, like, another operating system. Yeah. No, 
it's not like I'm choosing to do this instead of doing. I mean, I grew up in a a Roman Catholic conservative household, and you know, parents still married, still wonderful people. But when people are like, "How come you do?" This is my third episode today, and it's just like there is no conscious thought. Like, why do I do so many? Why do I read so many books? I don't know anything else. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is what you do. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to dial it up to 12 and go total war. I'm going to go macrophage Delta Force. Look at the good work you've done because sure. the mainstream media have hobbled this. Yeah. The CDC actually using the Census Bureau, the data mining, the DOD have been using. No, I'm not going to get into that. But seriously, you Pete McCulloch, I think he's the most published cardiologist in the United States. No, world history, most published cardiorenal physician. You couldn't get the message out. And you have to sit and watch this stupidity. You know, the most powerful man in the United States was 200 feet away from me. And I couldn't get to him. Hmm. I got to Meadows. Well, one of our mutual friends... Mr. Meadows and myself got to him and they, they told him where, who I was and where I was at. I never phoned. I wrote him a letter from my university email stating, and this is in September 2020, I said, look, don't, don't, essentially don't get your hopes up about these vaccines. They tried with SARS-1 in 2003 and they couldn't do it. They successfully vaccinated the animals. They immunized them. When they gave them live virus, they all died and horribly. So you, you, you allowed hydroxychloroquine to go away. There is no plan B if these vaccines don't work. You've got nothing. And this virus will run its course. And it did. Um, now I lost my train of thought. No, we were going all over the place. I mean, back to the chicken as we were talking about uh, Highland Park. We're talking about inner cities, comorbidities, okay, the train, the trains. The yeah. So the idea, and this all started out as a defense for biological warfare. You know, people don't realize this stuff is a city killer if it's done correctly. And that's aerosol dissemination. Mm-hmm. Project in the right particle size range. Project C spray. Yeah, there's a lot of science to it. This isn't something you're going to cook up in your basement. There's formulas and mm-hmm. stabilizers you have to because being a germ out, a virus or a bacteria out in the air no. floating around is an unnatural yeah, you want a body. state of affair. Yeah, the sunlight's killing you, the moisture's killing you in the atmosphere, uh, the oxygen's killing you and rusting you, oxidation. So you have to add chemical compounds, and the recipe is different for each pathogen. But if it's done correctly, uh, it'll take out a city. So we were worried about this, very, very worried. And Iran has had a program now for 20 years, and they've declared themselves sufficient in 1999 that, oh, yeah, we got a program. And the Chinese have one, and North Korea. So we were worried about this. Again, we were worried about it during Korea. In fact, that's how the CDC got started. 
there was a team that if there was an unusual outbreak, they would all go and investigate it and see, you know, were these the high dose first exposure cases that we're seeing this cluster. And uh, that later became the Epidemic Intelligence Service, which is still alive today. Although now it looks for food outbreaks and, you know, the new fungus that's floating around. And um, they had a special plane. I think you wrote about it in your book, Three Seconds Till Midnight. They had a special plane, right? Well, no, we need to have a special plane. Gotcha. Because the idea is to stop this stuff overseas. Yeah. And right now, um, let's say, should something break out in the Ukraine? Um, how are you going to get a team in there? So one of the teams should be special operators sure. that can go into a conflict area that are highly medically trained. There are 18 Delta people. Or the uh, That's the Green Beret medic level. And give them about a couple months training in epidemiology mm-hmm. so they can go in, take samples, figure out what the story is, bring the samples back, and we can start working on stuff. But why not just have a lab there with all the pencil necks inside the lab and identify right there? These We've got these, um, it takes an electron microscope to etch these things, mm-hmm. these viro chips, and it'll look at 15,000 different genetic sequences and tell you within 24 hours what virus you've got. And if you're not sure and you get a partial hybridization, it'll tell you what family this unknown is from. Give you the neighborhood. Yeah. And, I mean, I can take my 104-year-old Aunt Juanita and in a half hour teach her how to run the machine. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So, we're not exploiting this technology enough. 24 hours is a long time when you have an epidemic. And it may be 24 hours just in time or 24 hours past just in time to try to contain this thing, especially with air travel. Once you hit the international air routes, this thing's over here in 24 hours. So we have to really approach things very, very seriously. And... SARS-1 was picked up by data mining, but they never sent an exploitation team over. You've got to have boots on the ground visibly. And the Chinese lied about it. They didn't tell anyone until it broke out in Hong Kong and they couldn't cover it up anymore. And it was the same with COVID-19. They covered it up for quite a while until you couldn't cover it up anymore. And uh, it'll be that way again. Mexico covered up in 2009. There was an H1N1 outbreak. And uh, again, a private data mining firm called Veritech discovered uh, through open source that these Mexican women were all protesting because their kids had gotten sick and died. Hmm. And then they had another signal 
at a, uh, a place a little bit farther away. You could see this thing kind of, and it was in the area was a million pig pig farm. And yeah. the influenza virus had had several crossovers and it did its final crossover at the pig farm and got the little village. Veritech found this out, case zero. But before the CDC was ever aware that there was anything going on in Mexico. But the first cases that appeared in the United States, they caught. They're very good at for influenza at monitoring inside the United States and its territories. But we need a global thing. Global data mining and global verification teams on standby. And they'll work every year. They'll, they'll get two or three deployments. Oh, yeah. You almost so this is part of the thing of some of the things that have to be done. Anyway, the train was part of that. I loved the train. So when you have an outbreak in such a poor health area with no resources, usually very poor cities. Yeah. Yeah. St. Louis, Gary, Indiana, um, the, the slum areas of the 120 largest cities. You have to do it for them. And all the computer models that have been done show that if you can treat and control it, or if you have a pre-existing vaccine, that's a different story. And you can get it in there like really quickly. Not a messenger RNA, but the old style. Yeah. You know, the influenza. We've, we've got stockpiles for bird flu and this and that. And you get it in there quickly. We're working with the community leaders. This isn't Gestapo stuff. And the train brings in essentially a hospital. Mm -hmm. And it sets up right downtown. Yeah, park. Yeah, right on the tracks. Now, and these uh, for expeditionary force provider kits, I mean, they're functional in a day. You've got the tents up in four hours. Jeez. With a trained crew. They come with a manual, a field manual. So you use the National Guard for that. And of course, they practice putting it up, taking it down, putting it up, taking it down, putting it up when it's raining, putting it up when it's snowing, yeah. until it's second nature. Yeah. And boom, suddenly you've got a 150 bed health facility right in the middle of literally downtown. Yeah, literally downtown. So this type of thing and the helicopters will bring everything in. And uh, there's technology. I mean, we can make an intensive care bed. This stuff is all handheld now. Most of it. Complete automated blood chemistry, an iStat thing in your hand. A piccolo machine that's about that that big. It looks like a curry coffee pot. It'll do all the standard chemistry tests that a hospital can do. I mean, the technology is amazing. So you can set up an intensive care ward in a high school auditorium. You want a place that makes meals. Yeah. There's a cafeteria in high schools. They serve school lunches. So this was all in the plan, these alternate care sites. And you try to keep um, 
the infected out of the hospital so you can handle the normal hospital things, the heart attacks and the broken bones and all this stuff, COPD uh, resurgence. So this was how it would all work. And it comes as a complete package. All you got to do is put people on it and attach it to a locomotive. Yeah. And you can tailor make it for earthquakes. You put tents and, you know, Red Cross people on. So that was the idea that you don't just waste money. You've actually got something you can look at. Bang for your buck on existing infrastructure. Yeah. And it could, with real ruthless contract control, it could be done surprisingly inexpensive. You don't have to buy the locomotive. No. No. You requisition it. Yeah. 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 You don't need. You clear all the traffic off the track. Yeah. And you can have that thing anywhere in any state, even California. Yeah. Even California, that commie shithole. That's a, well, that's a long state. People don't realize. Well, no, yeah, no. Well, it's, it's enormous. I mean, it's got several gigantic cities in it. So why don't we base it where the biggest slum areas are? Yeah. And when you're not using it, get the crew in that's assigned to it, the doctors and the nurses and everything else, and go up to Appalachia and run a free clinic. Yeah. Good practice for everybody. Yeah, get those, no charge. Get those med school students in there. Well, they're residents. Can, they're cannon fodder. Residents. But no, run that. Yeah. Everybody, It's a win-win. The docs get better. The health, I mean, there's a lot of chronic disease out there that people you, just don't. You establish public trust. Do you remember the guy that used to be on Wild Kingdom? No, you're too young. Mutual of Omaha, wow. my name is Marlon Perkins, a Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom. He was an old gray-haired gentleman. He ran the St. Louis Zoo. And he had this uh, adventure guy, you know, with the khaki shirts and the muscle, named Jim Fowler. I think I got the right guy. And uh, they would film everything. He'd go down the Amazon, and Jim would jump in the water and wrestle these huge anacondas and you know, he's up and down, uh, below the surface and, uh, and down again. Uh, while Jim captures this snake, let's take a break for mutual of Oma. Yeah. And um, where was I going with that? I've done it Pub again. A public trust, trains, Appalachia, med students, residency. Yeah. So Jim Fowler ended up, he was starting, you know, he'd visit a lot of these areas and he was going to do like, cleft palates. We'll just take a team down there and the surgeons will do the cleft palates and fix all mm -hmm. the kids. Or we'll go here and do that. And he tried testing it out, I think, in Appalachia and found out there was so much need in the areas here in the United States. He became devoted to that. Yeah. So, yeah, this, everybody benefits. The doctors get better. The local community could get better. So back to the whole story. If every local community can handle what's called their medical surge requirements, mm -hmm. that is bring doctors out of retirement, bring nurses out of retirement, make sure they're trained to operate in a highly contaminated environment, that takes like an afternoon, and that they decontaminate and all this stuff. But high schools closed 
It's now an alternate care site only for infectious patients. Elementary schools, that's your neighborhood emergency health center. 1-800 numbers. We, we never, I never saw a 1-800 number. I'm in the White House and I'm phoning Washington, D.C. Public Health. I think I have COVID. Where do I go for testing? We don't know. I said, well, you're public health. How do you don't know? Well, we don't know. So I phoned back a couple of days later. I, I'm sure I've got COVID. Where do I go? Well, we don't know. Well, should I go to the emergency room? Uh, do you have an email? Oh, we'll, we'll have somebody send you an email and nobody ever emailed me. It was complete uselessness. That's, we've spent arguably $100 billion on biological warfare defense since 2020. And that's the best the capital city of the United States can do. Well, I'm, I'm sure the government, so, I'm sure the government bunkers are up to snuff. Not for you and me, not for us taxpayers, but you know, I'm sure, I'm sure NORAD is, uh, I'm sure they've got it down pat. Sidar. <laughs> yeah, Sidar, Raven Rock, Mount Raven Weather, Rock. uh, what's the hotel, Greenbrier. No, that's shut down. That's a tourist thing now. Yeah, no, they, they some some journalist blew the lid on that in like the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> you know that place was stockpiled with birth control and condoms because all the senators were bringing their uh, secretaries. <laughs> Can't have babies in the apocalypse. You know. You work at the White House. There's a. Um, overwhelming seriousness that should envelop every person there. Mm -hmm. And most of it, uh, the younger um, research assistants and things, I've never seen a finer bunch of people in my life. Sure. My God, they're sharp. You have to run to keep, keep up with them. And nothing phases them. I mean, okay. So they, Joanna gets the thing. We're worried about our drugs because they're all made in. We don't even make penicillin in the United States anymore. So Navarro, Peter Navarro saw the, the need. We need to bring critical drug production back to U.S. soil. And this was pretty far along. I mean, they'd identified places in Puerto Rico where this stuff would go. And um, Joanna... Pete Navarro always likes what he calls granularity, like exquisite detail. Yeah. So we had a list of drugs. It wasn't a small list. Okay, Joanna, I need to know all the details. So not just the active pharmaceutical ingredients, but where did those APIs come from? right down to the chemicals you set on a table. Yeah. And where did those chemicals come from? The starter things. And it took her a couple of months, but she did it. I mean, that would have been a doctoral project for a PhD, oh, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. 
the entire and, line of ingredients down to like yeah, the, the metal ore. She wasn't a chemist. And by golly, she did it down to the dirt to make the clay, to make the bowl. Yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the shame is for all of the mishaps or incompetence and or maliciousness that's in the government. It completely, it completely blinds out all of the good people in it because there are, there are genuine, not that there are, the overwhelming majority are genuinely good people who genuinely, they want their country to be better. But you know, it only takes one fart at the dinner table. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Think about it. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, Dr. Hatfield, I got to take a phone call and exactly four minutes so in the remaining three minutes we have could you real quick kind of maybe give a teaser about your new book which you said you don't even have a name for um any any loose ideas or something you could do to whet the appetite what we do i was there from third of february until you know the end of the handover Mm -hmm. in january 2021 we were the last people i think to leave the building our office they threw us out. Yeah. And um, we described what we saw in the daily fight as we watched senior federal employees violate their oath and destroy a functional pandemic plan. And we take you right through all the things from the uh, cheap laminar flow assays that didn't work to the PCR that never was accurate. You were getting too many false positives. You know, I've used PCR years ago and you've got computer programs now that help you pick out the primers and everything. Um, A good graduate student can make a good PCR test but somehow the CDC wanted to do it and they screwed it up twice and still screwed it up till the very end. And they finally got rid of it and said, no, no, no. it's kind of inaccurate. So we have no idea really what the true number of false positives are. And then it was amplifying the, you know, I mean, the virus is long dead. You got antibodies, but you're still showing PCR products. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not possible. So we go into that and then chiefly refuting this Clyburn volume two report. Um, Everybody got subpoenaed to go testify there. And uh, I got asked to testify and I said, no. So they subpoenaed all my emails at university and stuff. There's nothing there except what went on. And I have a website, Dr. Stephen Hatfield, H-A-T-F-I-L-L, Stephen with a V, dot com, where I uh, have written a number of articles that helped to put my ideas together for this book, why it was immoral to do childhood vaccinations. They're not susceptible 
to the COVID-19 virus, they don't have enough ACE2 receptors in their upper airway to get a good infection going. The children that have died have all had, sadly, very, very serious things wrong with them before COVID. Healthy kids, yeah, maybe they're crabby for a day or, you know, a little fever for a day or so, but they, they, they're, they're kind of immune. Mm-hmm. And we go through all that. And then the hydroxychloroquine story, blow by blow. And then the last time we addressed this Clyburn report is nothing, but it should be a violation of the Hatch Act. Seriously, it was political propaganda before the midterms. And uh, the staffers that prepared it really should hang their heads in shame that they would put out such a product when they knew what the truth was. Then the last half of the book is what we can do right this very minute to start getting ready for the next one without vaccine campaigns that aren't going to work. Again, if you have pre-existing vaccine ready to go and you can get it out there quickly, by all means, and it's effective, by all means, it's a great idea. Yeah. But we don't have that. We don't know what's going to hit us next until it hits us. And it may be so far removed from the original bird flu vaccine that we have that it's not fully effective. So you need early drug treatment. This is how you do it. We have 20,000 pharmaceutical compounds that are available for commercial marketing. And as we've seen with hydroxychloroquine, recently spirolactone, it's a diuretic. Um, It inhibits replication of the cytomegalovirus. Who would have thought? So we need to go through all these 20,000 compounds and see for every viral family that has human pathogens out there, which ones might be affecting. And of course, out of that, there's four viral families that are really always causing us trouble. So let's start with those first. But let's get something now that we need expanded antiviral drugs and not $500 a dose Paxlovid. One of the tablets in Paxlovid carries a black box warning. How's that any different than hydroxychloroquine? Yeah. Oh, this time it's okay because it's $500 a treatment course. You know, this, we try to impart the insanity that we saw in, for the last two and a half years and then offer some suggestions, uh, including a uh, revamp section on the train. Hell yeah. That's what I'm focused on. Forget the pandemic. I just, want, I just want to see the trains. This has all been a cover to talk to you about trains. Trains rule. Trains are the greatest. <laughs> and they're a perfect way to cost effectively and quickly. It's all about speed. Because mm-hmm. there's only a narrow window to contain these things once they start. Yeah. You've got to have resources, boots on the ground right now. And... Uh, What a perfect way to arrive with everything self-contained and everybody rehearsed and suddenly the next morning when it's light, it's working. Yeah. So. Could be done if we wanted to. Yeah. 
I just where there's a will, there's usually a relative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but if you get things done, yeah. Well, Doctor Hatfield, we gotta wrap this one up. In the link is uh, in the description is the link to your book. Uh, I think your website's in there. If not, I'll I'll, I'll update that. I'll yeah. uh, I'll well, you already have the link to this show. So um, but I'll text you. I'd love to I'd love to get you on here again. Um, and hopefully as as you draw closer to finishing your book, we'll obviously do an episode about that. It's finished. Oh, but okay. as you know, it's finished. It's just now though you've got to go through it and yeah. correct and take out all the words like dumbass and dumbass you know, things and like this and fucking communist and make it a mature product. A professional a lot of pictures. There's like forty pictures in it. You gotta put some makeup on it. Well, it helps explain things. Yeah. You know, real simple diagrams and stuff like that. Yeah. So gotta remove dumbass and <laughs> shithead and <laughs> moron. Fuck face. You know, all those little unscientific terms. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's gotta be a mature product. Yeah. And I never quite fully grew up. No, me neither. I mean, clearly I haven't. I'm having you on, and I'm still swear like a sailor, <laughs> right? I'm talking to you about pandemic preparedness, and I'm talking about fried chicken and getting shit-faced. Clearly there's a level of me that refuses. It was a good track to go on, though. It was. I, I don't regret it. I regret nothing. And I was in parochial school for two years until I, I just had it with the nuns. Yeah. No, they'll get you. I still remember. I think she's been dead for a while. Sister Lorraine, my fourth-grade teacher. That we woman. Had- <laughs> Sister Mary Rosrita. Yeah. Oh no, they're little demons. But Sister Flavia was God's child. I mean, she was, but she had no sense of tolerance. Boy, no. Poor old Jeff Lane got a whipping. Right. I mean, it was a full-on hold you up by your arm. Oh no, no, they'd they'd, up, they'd hit you. They'd straight up hit you with a ruler. This isn't well, like the '60s. This is like. No, they have a lot. No, they. Yeah, you're terrified of them. No, I'm talking like early 2000s. People are like, oh. "What did this happen?" And I'm like, "Yeah, dude, this is. Oh. <laughs> we had iPods. This isn't like 50 years. No, they just started whack. Shut up. I want to go to boarding school. Yeah, no. It was, <laughs> the nuns made you wish for the priest. You'd see the priest, you'd be like, "Oh, the priest oh, is tough." We had a good one, Father Daly. You still had the Irish brogue. No, it's good cop, he bad took, cop. He took no nonsense from those nuns, boy. It's good cop, bad cop. The, the yeah. nuns drive you to the priest, and then the priest's <laughs> lesser punishment seems merciful. <laughs> and you don't realize that you've been gamed until it's over. <laughs> I respect it, though. Father Lopez, I respect oh, yeah. that. Yeah. I respected them. Yeah. yeah. We um, were lucky. No, they're they're great. I think they've made me who I am today. And I like who I am today. Most people don't. But uh, that's okay with me. Um Dr. Hatfield. Do you think a wolf worries about what sheep think? Absolutely not. No. And I have a, uh, I have the modus, so I'm not concerned about the wolf either. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Dr. Hatfield, we got to wrap this one up. I'm uh, right, six minutes late for a phone call because I'm a terrible person. Thanks for coming on, man. I love talking to you. You're a cool fucking dude, and uh, I'll shoot you it's a text. Fun. Thank you, sir. We'll schedule always fun, right. bro. All right. Thank All you right. so much, Dr. Hatfield. Guys, go grab the book. It's in the description. Till next time, Dr. Hatfield, much love, brother. Take care. Thank you for watching, everybody. Peace.